Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shamit Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Matot Maaseh. War, what is it good for? I remember as a teenager, not such a teenager, but I remember in uh, hearing this song called War, what is it good for? Right. Absolutely nothing, right? So when you first heard that song, what did you think? You know, I was a child of the 70s. I can remember seeing images of Vietnam on TV routinely, you know, like that was on the news every day. And certainly, you know, I was growing my hair long and had the puka bead necklace and all that good stuff. And I was, you know, I wasn't a hippie, but I was, uh, you know, I remember the teenagers, the, the big kids around in the community were, 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 were dressing like hippies at least. And I think the anti-war... Um, vibe was definitely in the air uh, when I was a kid. And that song just felt like confirmation. Absolutely. Good for nothing. War. Nothing. I'm just trying to get over the image of you and the puka beads. But, oh, I can send okay. you some pictures. Yeah, it's good. I look, I had the, I look good, man. I had the Jufro going. <laughs> There's a word I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> Jufro. <laughs> so that song was released in 1970. I was 16. And I remember thinking, yes, right on. That's the war is good for nothing. And um, and yet uh, war is part of our life, part of our society. Had there not been had Chamberlain and his approach to Hitler won out in, in England, there may not have been a war. And what would the world have looked like? So there are times when you need to stand up, you need to fight. I love the idea in my office, my study, we have I a stained glass window behind my desk of um, the famous vision of Isaiah with the lion lying down with the lamb and the uh, pounding your uh, swords into plowshares. And I love looking at it. But the reality is, is that I don't know that there's ever been a moment when humankind somewhere in the world has not been in conflict, has not been in war. And so I guess it, that, that's a question. Is war actually good for something? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, you know, I think that if you look at the, the vast arc of history, you would say that this is the least violent time in, in world history. There is far less war today than there has ever been, uh, which is a good sign that we're maybe the arc of justice really. Is, I mean, the arc of history really is bending toward justice and 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 war is becoming less common. But nevertheless, it it feels like something we are incapable of existing without, and that seems troubling, but maybe you're going to tell me that um, we, have to, we have to think about that. Well, I think we do. I, 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 you know, I use the example of Chamberlain, but I certainly could have just as easily used the example of Ukraine mm-hmm. and Putin and a growing debate in our country and um, questions about how sustainable is this war? What will the ultimate result be? Right. You have a country that has been utterly devastated. A dam has exploded. I don't think we pay enough attention to the devastation. Um, by the way, that is also a very Jewish region of the country. And so we're also seeing uh, the Jewish population of Donetsk um, really be utterly displaced. And so a country, ha- a country which was once the breadbasket of Europe has really been turned into kind of a a war ground, and I wouldn't say a wasteland, but it certainly has been deeply, deeply negatively affected by a war. And so, you know, this is this. These are the questions of the day. 
I would look at our toll reading this morning through that eye uh, for this week. We have the portion of Matot Masse. It's a double portion. And over the course of the past few weeks, we have been dealing with the Midianites and the threat of the Midianites, which ultimately becomes a moral threat, but it's a threat nonetheless. And there is ultimately going to be a war which is waged in the portion of Matot, and it is a bloody, bloody affair. And Moses is troubled that any Israelite might show mercy during this war. This is a war from his perspective for the soul of Israel. You know, you read the portion and it is hard to read. It's difficult. You want the Torah to be a book that reflects, you know, our spiritual, our greatest spiritual aspirations. And there uh, Moses is in the trenches and it is just a bloody mess. And, um, the question becomes, what do we do with, what do we do with pet passages like that? How do we understand it? And what is war good for? Wow. Um, you know, in any of the stories of our heroes, there's, there's sections where we are, where they seem less heroic and we're having to accept the, uh, the gray areas and, and the, the, you know, even though the, the Torah and, um, and these stories are meant to be lessons that they're not always positive. You know, we, we have to really figure out why, it's important to acknowledge, and maybe it's a sign that, you know, again, once again, for the uh, countless, endless time, you know, humans are are, ne- are never going to be perfect. We're never going to survive without um, conflict, uh, without failures, personal failures, and we've got to we've got to grapple with that. I think we do, but life is not a panacea. I don't need to tell you that. And life is hard, and life can be unfair. How do we manage that? and still remain human becomes the question in the Torah. And I, I was thinking as you were talking, I said, gosh, if we could sit down in, with Jews pre-state Israel before 1948 and read this text of this war against the Midianites, the portion of Matot, and now uh, in the 75th year of the state of Israel, would we look at this portion differently? In other words, would, does it become less cringeworthy when you realize that Israel is in a very tough neighborhood surrounded by countries that wishes that it wasn't there at all and the kinds of wars that it fights and the ugliness that we see kind of splashed across our television screens? Has our understanding of war changed? Certainly it has in Israel. Certainly, there is a large segment. Remember that Israel is now the new center of the Jewish world. America is no longer, you know, the center. Israel has really taken that position. But there is a deep divide as how younger people in our country, the younger Jews, look at war and how young Israelis look at war. I want to think about that with you. And I think if you're living in Israel and you've spent a lot more time there than I have, you know, war is a part of. I would imagine part of the fabric of life. You're always on the defense. Uh, you're always um, aware that that uh, there could be conflict at any time, and you know every, everybody uh, serves in the military. Or almost everybody serves in the military when they come of age. How do you not factor that into part of life? So maybe this um, section of the Torah is not as jarring um, if you're if you're born and raised in Israel. Well, let's let's just look at the most obvious example. 
Benjamin Netanyahu. He is the longest serving prime minister. And this is, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, uh, when it comes to Israel, this administration, this coalition government is um, a very right wing government and has uh, received all kinds of criticism, both within Israel as the protests continue to go forward and outside of Israel. And yet he is probably the most trusted prime minister when it comes to security that the state of Israel has ever had. And the fact that he is in office speaks to that. It speaks to that, that people in Israel trust him. He's, on the one hand, managed to keep Israel out of any major war, but at the same time maintains Israel as a strong power. And that's one reality in Israel, but it's seen very differently, and I would suggest by Jews in America as well. We in America, we our tendency is to see Israel as a fact, as something that will always be there. It has been there. It is a strong military force. If we did a poll, let's not go around the country. Let's just look at Anshiamet. If we took a poll at Anshiamet and asked whether Israel is taking enough risks to make peace with the Palestinians, just yes or no, up or down, what do you think the congregation would say, Jonathan? Are they taking enough risks to make peace? Uh -huh. I'm, not, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, why is it a risk to make peace? I'm not sure what that means. I think risk is the right word. Arik Sharon was prime minister of Israel. He evacuated whole sections uh, in Gaza, a place called Yamit. So you're, so you're saying, are they, are they, when you say, are they taking enough risks, are you, do you mean, are they being aggressive enough to make peace? Exactly. Aggressive, aggressive in what they're willing to experiment, what they're willing to give up. So another way, just to be, just to be provocative, another way would be to say, are they, are they making enough war to make peace? No, I don't, I, I don't think you're hearing me the way that at least I, okay. I don't think I'm communicating. I think the argument that Secretary Blinken would make and many people around the world, including our president, would say is that the only way that there's ever going to be any sort of peace in Israel, in the Middle East, is if the Palestinians have their own state. Well, what does that mean? Would that mean a militarized state? Would it mean a state that could manage its own affairs without any interference from Israel, an independent state? I think that many Americans and certainly many in the Jewish community would say, yes, that's the risk Israel has to take for peace. I think many Israelis would respond and say, whoa, wait a minute, when Arik Sharon gave up Gaza, it became a Hamas-led place, you know, has endless headaches for Israel, and certainly hasn't worked out the way Arik Sharon thought it might work out. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean now. So I'll be provocative and say, does Israel have to commit suicide in order to appease those that want peace in that area? It gets back to what you said, uh, you know, when you started out by quoting the song, war, what is it good for? Well, the, the implication here is that war is good for maintaining our, our safety. War is necessary, at least, for preserving the state of Israel. And that's the view that many in Israel have right now. And it feels compelled by necessity. It feels like there is no alternative because we've been seeking an alternative to war for the entire time of Israel's existence. I think that's exactly right. We 
have prayed for our own country, albeit it's been messianic, but we now have our own country. And the country, the state of Israel is not the one that was envisioned by um, singing Oseh Shalom all the time or the story Exodus. You know, it's not, it's not a country that gets to live happily ever after. It's a country that has all kinds of issues, all kinds of challenges, and it is a country that is miraculous in what it's been able to accomplish. And so, like the Torah portion this week, in the Torah, the Torah is a book for humans to be lived in a human world, which is oftentimes remarkably messy. And I don't think we always want to see that. And I think Israel is a country that is messy. By the way, the United States, every country is messy. Yeah. It's yeah. challenged. And war is part of the reality and having a strong country and being able to present yourself with strength you know, matters in that part of the world. I personally know what to do. With, I, I want to know what you want to do with that idea. Well, to, to channel my 70s child that I was talking about earlier, um, the bummer part, the part that gets me down, man, is that we, we, we work on all these other things that the Torah teaches us where we are flawed, but we think we can do better. We work on being kinder. We work on taking care of the poor. We work on tending to our families and loving our neighbors, but we don't seem to be working very much on this. We don't seem to really believe anymore that, that peace is possible, not just in Israel and the Middle East, but you know, if you look at how much money we spend every year on, on the militarization of our society, it feels like it's inevitable. There's no way anybody could ever talk about putting an end to that. We don't even, we don't even give it lip service anymore. And, and that's a bummer, man. Okay, so what do we do with that? At the end of the day, what if peace, as it's presented in the book of Isaiah, going back to that window that I remarked on, of the line lying down with land, that's only going to happen when the Messiah comes. Until we get there, can we use a different definition of peace, which is shalem, which means to be whole? We're never going to have any sort of accommodation with the Palestinian people unless they feel like they are living in a world where they can have self-respect, where they can have what Israelis have. And how do we get there? How do we manage that balance? That becomes the larger question, as opposed to peace, peace in the kind of the messianic sense. I guess, in a way, where I think the to this Torah reading gets us is to a place where we say, you know what? The Torah is actually a very realistic book. It's talking about how do we live in this world? And war is one of those realities. And peace is going to be far down the road. But we are not um, free from working on that idea. And the way that we get there is by not losing our humanity. You know, in Israel, there's a code of ethics for how you manage yourself in war. Right? It's called Tahor HaNeshek, the purity of arms. And just let me quote from it. The soldier, the soldier makes use of his weaponry and power only for the fulfillment of the mission and solely to the extent required. He will maintain his humanity even in combat. The soldier shall not employ his weaponry and power to, in order to harm non-combatants or prisoners of war and should do all he can to avoid harming their lives, body, honor, and property. Does the United States have a uh, equivalent code? 
I don't think so. Israel has that code of ethics. And I think that that's one thing that we don't talk enough about is how soldiers are trained in Israel. And yes, there are abuses, but I think the army does try to manage that. And so there's a balance here. And we have to understand that war is ugly, just as it is in this week's portion. And war is, in our most idealistic sense, is something that all of us would like to do away with. But at the end of the day, if we're going to have that as part of our human reality, we still need to be human at the end of the day. I find that somewhat com comforting, but not that comforting, to be honest, because it's still disturbing that we see others as, as enemies first and as uh, we have to remind ourselves to treat them as humans. Well, I'm going to end there. I think this is where we should end. I think we should end with that challenge because let's not sugarcoat this. Yeah. This is a hard reality and we have to live with it. And I also think that we, that our children need to be part of this conversation where we can balance the good and the bad, the sweet and the sour, and try and, you know, find our way forward always with an eye towards a better day and a day of shalem, of wholeness, if not peace. I'm into that. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.